Welcome to Buildings and Beyond. A podcast that explores how we can create a more sustainable built environment. By focusing on efficiency, accessibility, and health. I'm Rob Aldrich. And I'm Kelly Westby. This week I'm talking with Bill Zoller, who is a senior vice president here at Stephen Winder Associates. He and I have worked together for almost, almost 20 years now, and uh, it's been observed by several people that Bill and I really don't have many conversations. We have many more arguments, but I think, I think we're both very well behaved in this episode. We're talking about high performance envelopes, specifically high performance walls. I mean, the designing, a, designing building good envelopes has changed a lot over the past couple decades. So we dig into this, the reasons for this a little bit and specifically talk about some high performance wall systems. Thanks for being here, Bill. Thanks, Rob. My pleasure. <laughs> so, so I, I talked to you about doing an, uh, a session on envelopes, a podcast episode on envelopes, which is a huge topic. But the way envelopes are designed and built now is so drastically different and continues to change a lot with new materials, with new techniques, new details. I wanted to dig into that topic a little bit. And we ended up deciding to talk about walls, because that's what came up first. Every building has walls. Every building has walls. <laughs> so, so big picture, why are envelopes and enclosures, I mean, why are they so, why are they different now? Well, in order to look at why they're different now, I think we need to look at the context of where they were. And where they were is really the impetus for why they changed. And where they were uh, a bunch of years ago, let's say 10, 15, 20 years ago, um, if someone was building your basic house pretty much anywhere in the country, uh, it was framed with two by four walls, had uh, R13 bad insulation jammed into the stud cavities without much care or thought of how good or neat or quality the job was. Um, essentially no care at all to any sort of air sealing uh, between the inside and the outside. Um, so basically you had... Um, you know, a frame wall cavity with a little bit of insulation in it and a lot of air blowing through it. You're not uh, making it sound very good. Well, it wasn't very good. Um, and when the energy codes changed to improve the performance... Or actually came into being in lots of places. <laughs> or came into being in lots of places. Um, they incorporated some um, attributes that caused some changes to occur. For instance, um, if we have your basic R13 wall with uh, the bad insulation and no air sealing capability, uh, what you've got is a little bit of thermal insulation that's stopping the flow of heat from inside to outside, a little bit, um, but all the air is blowing around it. So even if I have insulation in, spa in, 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 the, in the cavities, um, the outside air is blowing through the insulation via infiltration and really bypassing the thermal insulation altogether. Um, then the building codes increased a little bit, um, and we ended up with two by six walls, R19 or R20 insulation um, in that same space. And we started to employ some air sealing measures. Um, it became known uh, that air infiltration into buildings was one of the largest causes of, of heat loss and comfort issues and 
so on in, in buildings. So the next reasonable response is, well, let's tighten up the buildings. Um, when we did but that... There, but there wasn't yet a durability concern. I mean, so this was... Well, yeah, the building science was not really a known quantity when okay. we started to do that. Um, you know, like anything else, when we start employing new, new measures and new uh, aspects of anything, um, there's always unintended consequences, and, and we certainly found them. Um, in this case, the unintended consequences have to do with the um, second law of thermodynamics. Um, and usually when I start this conversation, I start with the first law of thermodynamics, uh, which is basically, in a nutshell, that energy can't be created or destroyed. Um, the reason I start with the first law is because I really want to talk about the second law, but if I do that, people always say, well, what the heck's the first law? So we got that out of the way. Right. Um, and the second law of thermodynamics is really the main issue with uh, high-performance wall assemblies and why they're causing problems or can cause problems. Um, and that's that... Um, it's the law of entropy, which basically means that um, any system of energy um, in an isolated uh, uh, chamber or, or setting um, wants to morph towards basically chaos. So if I have heat on one side of the wall and cold on the other side of the wall, what the energy wants to do is ba basically equalize itself on either sides of the wall. So the heat's going from hot to cold. So if I'm hot in the inside of the house, cold on the outside of the house, the heat wants to flow through that assembly to get to the outside. But in order for that to occur, I need to have energy. And what I'm doing by... So in order, in order for that to occur, well, energy moves from hot to cold. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's in keeping... Well, that, the, the energy wants to move from hot to cold. All right. But it, the, the transfer of energy actually takes two forms of energy to occur in, in, in the case of these buildings, in the case of a wall. Um, there's a mechanical energy, and that's the uh, air movement, okay. which aids drying. And then there's thermal energy, which also aids drying. And if I am uh, reducing the airflow and the energy flow through that wall system, I am decreasing the capability of that wall system to dry. That's the new part. Okay. All right. But it, it can go both ways. I mean, heat flow and energy flow can cause drying. It can also bring moisture into building cavities. It goes both ways. But I think it's like, you know, 20, 30, whatever, long time ago. I mean, buildings were so leaky that even if moisture got brought into the wall cavity, it dried out pretty quickly because there was just so much airflow and heat flow. Is that? That's, that's absolutely correct. Okay. Right. All right. So now we, we've we start to get a little that. bit better. Right. Okay. And so we've, we've diminished the capability of the drying, but we didn't diminish the capability of the wetting. It's still raining on the outside of the building. We still have our, our, our cladding uh, dealing with the uh, bulk water uh, as the water flows down the siding of the building probably leaks a little bit into the walls because, you know, walls aren't perfect. Um, and we've got the other issue of the air infiltration from the inside of the building carrying the relatively warmer moisture, moisture air into the wall cavity, finding something cold and condensating on it. So the air infiltration from the inside can cause condensation within the cavity. So now we, we've set up a little problem for ourselves. 
we've, we've increased the thermal insulation and the air tightness a little bit, but we haven't really dealt with the moisture management part. We've, we've taken the wetting and the drying and pushed it a little bit out of balance. And when we push it a little bit out of balance, we end up with dampness inside our walls and we get mold and decay and all kinds of bad stuff. All right. So keep water out. Keep water out. Water is the enemy. Bulk water management is, is one thing. Siding, flashing, secondary drainage planes? I mean, we're... Well, it, you know, if it, it, water-resistive barriers need, need to be, um, excuse me, adequate. Okay. They're never going to be perfect, so we have to understand that they're not going to be perfect. Uh, but they have to be well-detailed. They have to be proper materials. The water has to be able to go someplace, uh, we see a lot of designs for, for wall assemblies where um, they look pretty good if you look at a basic section, but if you look at the details, um, the water really has no place to go. Okay. You know, they're kind of trapped. Okay. There's no capillary All breaks. Right. There's, there's that kind of an item. So what, let me back up a little bit here. So the, the, the it's my, my, my perhaps simplistic take is most walls have some kind of siding. The siding should keep most of the water out. If water happens to get behind the siding through some defect in construction or just crazy horizontal rain or upflow rain or, you know, then, then there should be some kind of, uh, you know, house wrap or, or building paper or something that the water can't get through, which I, people I, I think often call it the drainage plane. I'd like to call it the secondary drainage plane. Well, that, that's, that's, it, it, in code speak, that the, that's the weather-resistive barrier. The weather-resistant barrier, right. okay. Um, and if I'm cladding my house in shingles or, or clapboard or something all else, right. um, you know, all that material overlaps and it's got gaps and joints and you're going to get wind-driven rain in there. Yep. If there's going to yep. be pressure differential on the lee side of the house or the windward side of the house, depending on what the weather's doing, the water's going to get back there. Okay. So it needs a place to, you know, to go to. Uh, whether it's a secondary drainage plane or a weather-resistive barrier, it's all that's all about bulk water management. That's okay. that's what happens in the outside of the building. Gotcha. And those come in the form of like in frame construction, which is you know very common. That's that's uh, at least in residential house wrap, building paper, or like zip is really I see more and more zip walls going up, which has the the weather-resistant barrier on the face of OSB. Correct, yeah. All, all those created equal? All those more or less the same function? Well, no, they're all different. And, you know, it depends on um, the overall assembly of, of the wall as to which is going to work the best. If you look at the old-school stuff, uh, you know, good old 15-pound building felt, um, that was, in essence, the weather-resistant barrier. Um, in no way was it an air barrier. Yeah. Um, okay. So you know, with all the, air, the laps, with all the joints, yeah, and with you, all know, the, you yep. can't tape it, you can't okay. glue it. You know, like when originally when when the house wraps came out, um, they were lapped six inches according to the manufacturer and stapled. Yeah, and it's like, hey, this is an air infiltration barrier, isn't it great? Well, you know, if I take a one by one sample and test it in the laboratory, it'll come out as a rated air infiltration barrier. If I put it in a house and I don't bother doing anything with the seams and joints, it's not an air barrier of anything. It's just full of leaks. It's like a right. bucket with holes in it. Yep. Okay. You know, even though the, the plastic bucket is 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 uh, made out of waterproof material, it's got holes in it, so it's not going to do you any good in terms of holding water. And this is, I think, one of the newer things because 
10, 20 years ago, when people came out with tapes that, oh, tape all the seams of your house wrap, of your building paper, of your zip sheathing, you know, nobody trusted that those tapes would hold up over decades. And, you know, they would, they would decompose, the adhesive would break down and they'd fall off and then you'd get leaks, air leaks, water leaks, etc. I mean, are we... Do you agree? I mean, that seems like very new. Well, th those concerns were well-founded. Okay. Um, they, they didn't work. Um, you know, they didn't, they, in terms of long-term durability, there was issues. Okay. But um, now? Well, there's, there's different materials on the market. Tapes are a lot better, generally. Okay. Some are still better than others, but you can get tapes and systems that absolutely work to air seal your building on the outside. Um, and, and truly, that's the place you should air seal your building, on the exterior sheathing plane. Um, you want to air seal where the air movement is. The air movement's on the outside, not the inside. Uh, so that's your first line of defense. That's where it, where, it, where it ought to go. All right. All right. So keep the water out. Flashing details, you know, more important now than they ever were. Yeah. That, you know, because the drying capability is lower. Because there's low drying. And right. getting that... Uh, weather-resistant barrier, seamless, really impervious, is the way to go. you, you got to do it in a high-performance wall. You have to do it in a high-performance okay. wall. A little bit of a problem um, in that barrier can cause big problems in the, in the overall wall assembly. So R-value, higher R-values. How do you do that in the best way? And again, framed wall now. Well, there's, there's different approaches. Obviously, um, you know, the standard traditional way is to fill the cavity with fiberglass insulation. That's what we used to do. Okay. Um, that works up to a certain point. It still keeps a lot of the thermal bridges in the form of the wood studs, for example, in place. So where the wood studs are, I don't have any insulation at all. I have wood studs. Um, or three or whatever, yeah. Less or than five. Yeah, or, exactly. Yep. Um, so really now the more... Um, effective approaches utilize continuous exterior insulation, uh, a layer of insulation that basically blankets the entire building around the exterior, covering all the thermal bridges, so that, for as an example, I'll have uh, an R5 or an R6 or an R7 continuous around the entire building envelope uh, that'll be directly integrated with my air ceiling. Then, if I put cavity insulation in place, uh, the cavity insulation will actually be uh, effective to its rated value or close to it because the thermal bridges have been essentially been defeated. Okay. So continuous insulation is the way to go, you think? It's one of the better approaches. Okay. There's, again, there's different approaches, but that absolutely is, is a preferred approach, I'll call it. All right. And the material? Foam is what I see mostly. Rigid, um, rigid foam? Rigid foam works. Uh, you know, if you use rigid foam, you could do your air barrier on this and the and the and the weather resistive barrier that we talked about before the secondary drainage plane, as yep. you called it, um, on the surface of the foam. Um, there's other materials I could use, like mineral wool, rigid mineral wool, uh, for continuous insulation on the exterior. In which case, I have to use the sheathing below it, underneath it, for the weather resistive barrier and my air sealing barrier because. The uh, mineral wool is not an air barrier. Nope. Um, the cladding or siding needs to be installed on uh, furring strips of some sort because you can't uh, nail directly through the uh, mineral wool because it's, it's a compressible material. Okay. But it's drainable. 
Okay. So, you know, if you're going to do a rain screen, which basically puts a gap between the sheathing and, and the back of the cladding uh, as, an, as a uh, siding approach, uh, then the mineral wool works just fine. Rain screen is any gap? I mean, furring strips constitute a rain screen? What? what? Well, you can do a rain screen multiple different ways. Basically, okay. it's, it's, it's an air gap or, or a capillary break between the back of the sheathing and whatever the sheathing is attached to. So if I have uh, a drainable insulation like mineral wool, okay. uh, the back of the cladding, whether it's clapboard or something else, okay. uh, will be spaced out at, at least typically a quarter of an inch uh, from, from the face of the insulation so that if water gets back there, it's got a place to drain. It doesn't cling to the back of the insulation. There's a little air movement up in there. Um, and we talked about you know, the second law of thermodynamics before. If I've got some air movement... Um, I've got some higher drying capability, so I'm, I'm uh, introducing some drying capability within that wall cavity. All right. So the double wall systems, you know, double yeah, two, we, we used 10 to, inches, 12 inches. We used to see a lot cellulose. more of those. Um, yeah, you know, the, what you have is basically two parallel stud walls uh, separated by a few inches. So the total dimension of the walls, as you said, is 10, 11, or 12 inches. Uh, then the whole thing is is packed with uh, uh, dry uh, uh, dry blown in uh, dense pack cellulose. Okay, um, that's a lot of insulation. You know, at at three point two inches or, or uh, excuse me, R three point two or four per inch or whatever times ten inches. Yep. You know, thirty R thirty plus. Yep. So what you've got there is a whole lot of thermal insulation so you're stopping the energy heat flow and you're getting some air sealing but it's not a complete vapor permeable solution so that if there are air leaks which there will be a little bit always are um, interior more more moisture laden air can get into that wall system find its way to the exterior sheathing and potentially condense because the exterior sheathing does not have the continuous insulation we talked about, so it'll be colder. Um, and if it's uh, colder and my interior air gets to it, the relative humidity goes from 50% to 100% because the air goes from 70 degrees to 10 degrees. Um, I can get some condensation issues, some dew point problems, and, and, and end up with a big problem. All right. So if you are going to do the double stud wall, there are some products in the market that are highly recommended to make it safe, uh, generically called smart vapor retarders that you would want to install on the inside of the wall behind your drywall to make that type of a wall system uh, basically a safe wall system. Without and, that, it's it potentially problematic. And a vented and a rain screen or vented siding is even more. And a, a, in combination with the vented siding okay. or rain screen. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, we talked about the continuous insulation uh, a little bit before, um, and what the continuous insulation also does, just to sort of amplify that a little bit, um, is that it'll take that same exterior sheathing and raise the temperature of it because you're putting your continuous thermal barrier between the outside weather and the uh, exterior sheathing so that the temperature of that sheathing remains above the dew point under all design conditions. So even if I have air leakage into the cavity, with say you know two inches of uh, XPS or polyiso insulation, um, and say an R19 or R20 in a two by six cavity, 
um, in most climate zones in the U.S., that'll be a safe wall because the sheathing stays above the dew point, so any air that leaks into that assembly still will not condense. Okay. It makes sense. I mean, it all makes sense. We, I, you know, I see people wanting to stay away from petrochemicals, and most of the rigid insulation, continuous insulation, is foam. But mm -hmm. you said there are alternatives. There's some mineral wall. Or there's some uh, cellulose-based cellulose rigid yeah, there, insulation. There, there, there's some European-type yeah. products that are finding their way into the U.S. market slowly that are you know, essentially wood-based, but yeah. they perform more or less like uh, a mineral wool rigid insulation. Right. Um, they have the same drawbacks. You know, they're, they're, you don't want to nail directly to them. You want to provide a capillary break. Yeah. You want to give them a chance to drain behind yeah. your cladding and so on. Um, but there's plenty of options. Um, and, and more and more. It's, 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 yeah, it's hard to keep up with it all, but more options. More options. <laughs> more well, you know, more options is good, <laughs> but more options includes more confusion of, yes. you know, on the part of the uh, designers and builders that are using yeah. them. Um, because if there's a lack of basic understanding on some of the building science involved, um, they're relying on particular marketing information, which is always going to be a little bit incomplete because it's designed <laughs> to sell stuff. You know, let's yes. you know, be honest. Yeah, definitely. All right. Switching gears a little bit. Masonry. What's different in masonry? Well, let, let's start with what's the same in masonry. All right, all right. Um, and in, in masonry, if we're talking about new construction, um, you really want to employ the same strategies you're doing in frame construction, and that's the continuous uh, exterior insulation barrier outside the whole thing. Jacket the whole darn thing in some sort of an insulation jacket, be it XPS or mineral wool, or polyiso or something else, okay. to the point where the inside surfaces of the masonry, if it's a CMU, you know, block and plank building, for instance, stays above that dew point. Um, same, same rules apply. If I don't have enough continuous insulation on the outside and my CMU backing gets below the dew point, my warm Interior air at 50% relative humidity can get in there, contact that masonry, get down to 50 degrees and 100% relative humidity, right. and I have a moisture problem. Um, so there it's the same. Um, in terms of uh, continuous air barriers and weather-resistive barriers, uh, the place to put that typically is on the, on the direct face of the concrete masonry units, the CMU. I'm sorry for using the jargon. I, Get carried away sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, that kind of a system you'll see with either a brick veneer exterior. We're seeing a lot more rain screen cladding systems, metal panel systems, terracotta panel systems. Uh, we'll all employ that sort of a, of a strategy. So we're seeing a lot of different approaches that actually work now that the, the building science is a little bit better understood and there's more products uh, to provide more variation that are, you know, desired by designers. So the weather-resistant barrier on the outside of the masonry and most, if not all, the insulation outside of that. Uh, generally, that's going to be a higher-performing approach, yes. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. I mean, you could, you could come in with uh, some light-gauge steel framing inside your concrete block uh, with some, you know, essentially auxiliary uh, insulation material okay. to get a boost in R value or to meet energy code or whatever you're going to do with it. Um, but it's really that outside continuous insulation that's performing 
uh, most of the work. And this is, I mean, this is, this is typical in the Northeast for multifamily new construction, in, some in commercial. urban locations. Yeah. Okay. Correct. Yeah. And in, I mean, in the rest of the country, is I mean, we're talking about colder climates generally. Right. Is it is the same hold true? I mean, the the R values are lower required by code as you get further south, as you get warmer. I mean, other different challenges, similar challenges. Uh, well, the challenges are 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 different all over. Um, in general, the masonry buildings are going to be uh, safer in terms of moisture performance because okay. they're they're a little bit more idiot proof. Um, you know, if we look at frame construction, when you get down into the south. Uh, the rules are, are a little different there. Um, if I've got a cooling dominated climate um, and the interior temperature is kept at say 70 degrees and it's 95 degrees and you know 80% relative humidity outside and I have any moisture drive at all, um, you know the, the thermal dynamics doesn't change. It's just that the flow, the flow of energy is now different and yeah. it wants to flow from hot to cold. So in that case, it's outside to inside. So now, if I have air leaks, I'm drawing the exterior, the hot, sticky air through that wall assembly to the inside. And if I have a vapor retarder on the inside, even if it's by accident, like vinyl wallpaper, <laughs> I have a big problem yeah. because that's where the moisture stops. I'll get condensation, I'll get mold, I'll have all sorts of problems. So um, it, it really is climate specific how you deal with it. Uh, when you're looking at climates in between, that can be both. Um, say Washington D.C. Mm -hmm. You know it can get New York cold, yep. or it can get Florida hot. Yep. So, you know you really have to understand the dynamics uh, in designing high-performance wall systems, especially in those mixed climates. In Phoenix, the risks are lower, I imagine. In Phoenix, or you know most of California, the risks are lower because you know. It's, the enemy is water, yeah, and there's just less of it yep. right. <laughs> in the air, right? So it tends to not be a pro as much of a problem. So, if your brother called you up, said he was building a new house, asked you what kind of wall he should ha he should use in a single family home in Connecticut, in New York, you know, what would I, you tell him? I just had this conversation with my brother yesterday. No, you didn't. No, I didn't. <laughs> um, but I, I mean, you know, it, it, in a typical. Northeastern climate zone five scenario, um, likely be a, uh, a two by six wall. It could be maybe a two by four wall. People, you know, builders don't want to do that anymore, but there's nothing wrong with it because structurally it's fine. And if I can get my continuous insulation on the outside, uh, do my air barriers out there, you know, do a continuous R15 um, on the outside, which is, you know, two and a half inches of, XPS, of, uh, of polyiso, three inches of XPS, and do an R13 bat or an R15 bat, that's an R30 wall and a two by four wall. Okay. Nothing wrong with that. All right. Um, so that, I mean, if you're looking at low cost, high performance, um, that's, that is probably a really good approach. A lot of builders will just say, I'm not gonna do two by fours because blah, blah, blah. So they wanna do two by six. And okay, well then do, you know, R10 continuous outside and then do R19 bats. Okay. You want to make sure that the continuous insulation stays um, within a fairly high ratio of the total insulation. You know, like 33% probably is a minimum uh, for condensation control. Um, so that's, you know, basically a rule of thumb. You'd want to look at, at the actual attributes and parameters of your materials before making that decision. But that's a pretty, pretty good rule of thumb to start with for basic planning purposes. Okay. Okay. And there, I, 
Further south, I mean, is there a line where continuous insulation is really kind of moot, not really required? I mean, in Georgia, do you really need continuous insulation? Is that is it a well, code doesn't require it? Does no, it? the code doesn't require it. Okay. Um, and, you know, again, if you don't do the continuous insulation, you're still going to have the thermal breaks. Yeah, um, right, right. The thermal bridges, rather. But the thermal bridges will be less important because the temperature differential is less. Mm. If, if I'm 70 degrees on the inside, 90 degrees on the outside, that's a delta T of 20 degrees. Right. Not a big deal. Uh, in New York, if I'm 70 degrees on the inside and 10 degrees on the outside, that's a 60 degree temperature differential. That's, that's quick math. Three, yeah. That's good. <laughs> I hang out with a lot of engineers. It's like through osmosis. Um, so, you know, the, the, the thermal drive is three times greater. Okay. But you're still not you're getting the, the, the complete performance package. If you do continuous insulation, you know, again, you got to pay attention a little bit differently to the dynamics, but you can still do a high-performance wall. You could do a high-performance wall without the continuous easier in the south than you can in the north. Yep. Okay. All right. So, I mean, keep the weather out. Number one, excellent bulk water management, bulk water management siding, flashing, critical. drainage, yep. no, probably number one. Yes. Air tightness, number two. Agreed. And then uh, from there, it's, it's designing for uh, forgivability. Or if something does go wrong, you'd get a little bit of air leakage or you get a little bit of water leakage. Yeah, it's understanding, it's it's understanding what, what the vapor control issues are. Okay. You know, dew point control, condensation control, uh, vapor dynamics. Uh, and it all changes a little bit based on how much R value you put in because of that, that, yeah. that very um, unforgiving second law of thermodynamics. All right, so if we talk about this again in five years, what are we going to be talking about? Any new systems, you think? New systems, new products? Well, the physics will not change. All I right. can pretty much guarantee that. All right. Um, We're recording, so we can... I, you can yeah. play it back. It's fine. <laughs> um, there's always going to be new systems on, on the market introduced, um, about half of which will make it, uh, half of which won't, and 10 or 20%, that'll be pretty good. The other 30% that make it that aren't pretty good will make it on behalf of their marketing strength. But that's okay, too. All right. Um, I, you know, I don't see anything uh, really new and upcoming that's going to be earth-shattering. There's a lot of stuff that people always think is going to be. You know, we saw, you know, panelized construction, SIP construction, all that kind of uh, type of product. They're fine. You know, yeah. you just have to understand how they work and where they work and, you know, what to avoid in terms of problems. But they haven't uh, taken over the world yet. Yeah, no, they're, you know, the 2% market share or whatever it is. Yeah. And they've been around for a while, so they haven't, you know, there's a reason they haven't taken over the world. Um, you know, but they're perfectly fine product and perfectly uh, uh, acceptable for, for use in, in modern buildings. Whether something new comes along that, you know, usurps all of that, you know, that's crystal ball time. Yeah, I, right. you know, I don't see it right now. All right. Awesome. Thanks very much. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Buildings and Beyond. For more information about the topics discussed today, visit www.swinter.com slash podcast and check out the episode show notes. Buildings and Beyond is brought to you by Stephen Winter Associates. We provide energy, green building, and accessibility consulting services to improve the built environment.
Our professionals have led the way since 1972 in the development of best practices to achieve high-performance buildings. Our production team for today's episode includes Dylan Martello, Alex Mirable, and myself, Heather Breslin. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week.